0: Well, we are moving through 1 Thessalonians, and we are in chapter 5. We're going to be looking, hopefully, prayerfully, at 16 through 22. Pure worship is the message. So open your Bibles there, if you would, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to start at verse 16. Once you've got it, if you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22, pure worship. How do we worship? What does that really look like? It's going to be some familiar verses to all of us, but how to do them is part of what we're after. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully, 21, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for each and every precious person, family that has come into this particular place. Thank you that the doors are open. Thank you that we can meet corporately, we can edify, build up, encourage one another, and all the the more as we see the day drawing near. How we need to be together and how we need your word. And I want to also thank you for every precious person joining via live stream this morning. Thank you for our radio family, uh, all of our people who join us via podcast each and every week, thousands and thousands of people. You have done above and beyond what we could ask or imagine We give you the glory for it. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And as we think about yesterday and the return event in D.C. and how many people gathered in the rain to repent and ask you to have mercy on America. It is our heart's desire that that continues, Lord. And that as this service takes place, anything that is in our hearts that's not pleasing to you Anything that we need to name in prayer and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of that. I'm sorry. You've been merciful to this nation, Lord, but we are looking at a divided nation, a divided people, and we don't want to see a divided church. So would you help us, Lord, to seek your face, to turn from our wicked ways, to uh, experience a revival in our day So many of us have prayed for it for so long, we long to see it, and we know it's got to start with us, so we lay this time at your feet and pray that you would lead us in revival in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. On the Jewish calendar, we actually have uh, fallen on a feast day leading into tonight. It is known as Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, so this is actually the day Uh, There's three fall feasts named in Leviticus 23, and you have the Feast of Trumpets, you have Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that is where we are. And uh, I understand as uh, synagogue services take place, and they go through the readings, and uh, go to Leviticus 16, and if you're curious about the Day of Atonement, that's a place that you could go, Leviticus 16, to see how it's laid out. But at the end of those services, they will actually blow the shofar. And John the Beloved is in the back of our sanctuary. (laughs) (laughs) There, he found his wind. He found it. We love you, John. Thank you. <laughs> that is our call to worship. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the opening verse, rejoice always. Amen. How you doing? How's your rejoicing been? I was with somebody, uh, a brother in the Lord yesterday, and he said, you know, honestly, my, uh, I've been kind of negative lately. <laughs> It's been hard to find joy lately, hasn't it? I mean, there's been so much going on. Some of you have gone through some personal stuff that's kind of sapped your joy. Uh, just world you know, conditions in the last six months have been difficult, and maybe you've lost your joy. And I think as, as Christians, that's a very real possibility, is that just life throws us one body blow after another sometimes, and... Even though we're believers and we know how we're supposed to be living, we know what our attitude should be, uh, the, the reality is that we all wrestle with this. We all wrestle with being joyful people. And how do we find our joy and not have it be based on circumstances, but what do we base it on? This is something that I've thought about a lot over the years, prayed about a lot over the years. And one, one place I like to look Uh, to get my example always is Jesus. And Jesus, this is Hebrews 1.9 if you're a note taker, it says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions. Hebrews 1.9. And so to be anointed with the oil of joy, I think is a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, in Galatians 5.22, one of the fruits of the Spirit is Joy. It is not something that we can necessarily drum up. Now, some people are naturally more happy than others. Some of you wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and you don't even need coffee to, you know, sing with the birds and whatever, and you annoy most of the people around you, and and then they lose their joy, and this is the vicious cycle. (laughs) But... If you're around a joyful person, have you noticed that joy can be contagious? And if you're around a negative person, negativity can be contagious. And so choosing people to be around is important. And you want to be that blessing to others, of course. Uh, In the, the big picture, let me just give you the outline for those of you who like to kind of map out sections. Three positive exhortations here about rejoicing, praying, and being thankful, three negative exhortations or imperatives about not quenching the Spirit, not despising, so you got do-nots there, right? Do not quench, do not despise, 20 and 21, abstain, another negative uh, imperative, if you will. And then in 21, so you've got three positives, three negatives, and in, in 21 you've got an examination verse. Examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. Three positives, three negatives, one examination. Let me just say to you that uh, this is not an exhaustive look at a life of pure worship, but let me just say to you that this would be a good way for each of us to say, hey, here's a good way that I could look at a given day or week and measure my worship. How am I doing with the positive impairments, imperatives, and the negative imperatives? How am I walking those out? Am I examining things carefully and holding fast to that which is good? You have the do's and the do nots of the Christian life. And I'll just tell you that if you want to f- rejoice always, it's going to be because you're rejoicing in the Lord. Paul said from prison in Philippians Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say, rejoice. rejoice. How could he say that from prison? Because his joy was not circumstantial. It was grounded in Jesus. Jesus was Paul's joy. And that's what we need. We need to find our joy in our Savior, who himself had the oil of gladness above his companions. And I've said this before, but I think Jesus was a joyful person to be around. And yes, we have snapshots of his life. And yes, there were times when he he was very strong and even correcting, but he had the oil of gladness. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he exuded joy. And that's something that I want to have in my life. And I can say I think like probably most of you I still have a long way to go <laughs> but it's something I think I can pray for Lord fill me with the fruits of the holy spirit so that joy can be something that's present in my life Isaiah 61:10 says I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my soul will exult in my God I think first and foremost if you're looking for places to find joy and I think it's realistic to say you know, I, I, I need some help, like what would be my target or bullseye to find joy? Well, first and foremost, I would say you find joy in the Lord and in, in his salvation. Listen to Psalm 35, 9 and 10. It says, my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. All my bones, Psalm 35, 9 and 10, will say, Lord, who is like thee? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. I find my joy in the Lord. I find my joy in my salvation. We were praying before the service, and one of our brothers, our prayer warriors, was thanking God for his salvation. And I would tell you that the first three positive imperatives here are all interconnected joy, prayer, and thanksgiving all go together. Amen. They're all going to be linked. They're they're going to connect with one another. And so I can always find my joy in the Lord, if nothing else. I can always look back to a God who saved me mercifully from the mire and muck of my sin. Amen? If I can go nowhere else, if there's nothing good that I could find in a given day or week, or even looking into my heart, I can look to Him I don't look within to find my joy. If I look within, I'm going to be disappointed. I find my joy in my Lord. He is my life. He is my salvation. Psalm one, eighteen, twenty-four 24 says, This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the original setting of that verse is in the Hillel Psalms. And it was sung during the Feast of Israel, but it specifically has to do with salvation. It goes on to say, "O Lord, save! We beseech Thee, O Lord, we beseech Thee, do send prosperity. It's about salvation." If you're taking notes, another thing that we can be rejoicing about is the Word of God. Psalm 119:162 says, "I rejoice at thy word as one who finds great spoil." And Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are are right, rejoicing the heart. Sometimes what I got to do is get out of my negativity and get into the Word of God. Amen? And sometimes one of the places that I go, or I should say, a place that I do go regularly is is the Psalms. The Psalms are real raw, but they're often joyful, and I find great refuge in the Word of God. And so I think it's important that you turn to a psalm. A psalm a day will keep the blues away. It's true. It's good. It's a good spiritual prescription. Something else is Proverbs 5.16. It says, let your fountain be blessed, Proverbs 5.16, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. If you're married, you should be rejoicing in your spouse. Yes, we have challenges in marriage. Yes, we are two humans trying to love each other well. But the Bible says to rejoice in the one that God has given you. And some of you haven't done that for a long time. You've been looking all around instead of looking to the gifts that are right in front of you. And so you are to rejoice with the gift that God has given you in a spouse, whether it's your wife or your husband. Proverbs 8, 30 and 31 says, Then I was beside him, this is wisdom personified as a master workman. I was daily his or God's delight, rejoicing always before him, Proverbs 8, 30, 31. Rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Wisdom personified in Proverbs 8 is pictured at rejoicing over the creation of the world. I don't know when the last time you or I could say that I just parked, paused, and looked at a sunset or a bird in flight or the crashing of waves or a snow-covered mountain or a beautiful sunset and just was in awe and delighted in God and his creation. And by the way, it goes on to say that wisdom here is given voice and wisdom says, I was also rejoicing in the people that God had made. And I know sometimes, you know, we look at people, and if people agree with us, then we can rejoice in them. And if they don't agree with us, then we kind of get angry. But we're to rejoice in people. People, to my understanding, are the only ones that have been made in the image of God. Amen? And so we're to try to find joy in people. Do you know, I think Jesus did this. I think he was able to see people at their best. I will, I will tell you this. Uh, I have a pastor's heart, so I tend to see people in their best light. Instead of picking apart their weaknesses, I tend to, and I'm not tooting my horn, it's just kind of the way God made me, to look at the positives of, of people. I am an optimist at heart. And I, I hope that you can find that in the Lord. And if you tend to be negative about people, maybe you can ask the Lord to give you new eyes to see them. I think that's really the key to all of this, is we have to have the eyes of the Lord to see people the way He sees them. Amen? And to give them the same amount of grace that we want God to give us. It's important, because I think this is the heart of our Lord. Now, I want to tell you that rejoicing always, because some of you look at verse 16 and you're like, really? you got to be kidding. Like, always? Uh, I think that this language would lend itself to an understanding of a habit of life. Let me explain. There's a verse in Romans that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You, I don't think you can be weeping and rejoicing at the same time, although perhaps that's possible. Uh, The Bible lays out times when we grieve. We don't grieve like those who have no hope, but yet we grieve. It would be hard to imagine grieving and rejoicing simultaneously. So let me just give you some encouragement to say this is more about a habit of life. Are you characterized by rejoicing or complaining? Which would it be? I'm talking about habit of life now. I'm talking about that which Ultimately defines you, not little snippets where you have a bad day or a bad moment, or something happens and you're bummed out. That's that's not the issue here because that is what we fight as humans. But could you say? Could I say that most of the time, I'm rejoicing in the things that the Lord has given me in my life? I believe that you can choose that. The disciples came back to Jesus. The seventy returned with joy, and they said, "Lord." Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 10, 20, Don't rejoice in this that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Please hear what I'm about to say. I know life is hard, and I know we lose people, and there's a lot of inexplicable things that go on, but here's our ultimate hope and joy is heaven. Amen? Our names are recorded as believers in heaven. And Jesus said, that's what you need to rejoice about. That you know where you're going. That you know where people that have trusted in the Lord along with you are going. This is the joy that we have. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation nineteen seven. And then I'll give you one more. I think we should rejoice about salvation. And what I mean is when other people get saved. I'm trying to give you a list of things that you can rejoice in, and I've given you several, but here's another one. See, there's more joy in heaven, Jesus said, over one sinner who comes to repentance. And if you want to get joy back, how about you start evangelizing? How about you start leading other people to the Lord because you're going to find that they're going to be your joy and your crown of exaltation. If heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance, how much more should we? Amen? So if you've lost your passion for souls, if you can't remember the last time you tried to plant a seed or pray that someone would come out of darkness into his marvelous light, maybe that's why you're bummed out because you're not about the eternal business of the kingdom, but you're about the temporal stuff that's all going to go away eventually anyway. So rejoice always, I think, is a habit of life. Rejoicing in the harvest. Rejoicing that, as Jesus tells the, the story in Luke 15, this son, we had to rejoice and be merry, Luke 15, 32, for this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, Habakkuk ends his book by saying, though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail. The fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation." The Lord God is my strength. And so these are the things I think that can give us joy. This is uh, from a scholar. He says, Indeed, few things about the New Testament church are more remarkable than this, the continual stress on joy. From an outward point of view, there was little to make believers rejoice, but they were in Christ. They had learned the truth of his words, no one will take your joy away. John 16, 22. New Testament Christianity is permeated with the spirit of holy joy simply because Christians are permeated with the presence of Christ. There's no doubt that there will be times of sorrow and pain, but our rejoicing in the Lord deep down will remain. Supernatural joy comes from the Lord, and Paul had found it. And Paul had a tough life as a missionary. Amen? He had death threats. He had cities he went into where they left him for dead beat him up and yet this man is talking about joy so if he can talk about it i think we can in southern california don't you think if this man who put his life on the line every single day for the gospel could have joy and write it from a prison cell i think we can find our joy and our joy of course is in the lord do not be grieved, Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Positive number two, verse 17. Pray. Okay, it's going to get a little more challenging. Rejoice always and pray. What's the Bible say? Continually or pray without ceasing. And all God's people say, what? <laughs> How do you pray continually? I, read an article some years ago, and there was a Christian man who tried to live out this verse. He was going to try to make his life one of continual, unceasing prayer. Lasted about 15 minutes. <laughs> it's hard, right? Because we're often, you know, we're at work or we're, you know, doing something else. Our focus is elsewhere. How do you pray without ceasing? Should, be, should you be, you know, Walking around on your knees, (laughs) repeating the Lord's Prayer. What is this all about? What is Paul saying? Well, one way to take the language is to pray without omission. Don't omit praying. And that's something that's easy to do. I think all of us could look at our prayer lives and say, oh, it needs improvement. But Paul's verb for prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is a verb which expresses worship or devotion. This is important. Some say it's best captured in a life that has a Godward gaze. A Godward gaze. Maybe walking that out, here's a good way to explain it. It's a person who is living their life, whether they're on the freeway, at work, doing a workout, spending time with family and friends, whatever it may be. And on a sub-level, there's an awareness of, of the presence of God in their lives. And almost a constant idea of communication. That is, sometimes when we have a close relationship with somebody, it's not about talking. It's just about being. Everybody with me? You don't have to be talking necessarily to be close to somebody. You can just be there. It's See, praying, praying continually is not about words it's about your heart it's about the orientation of your soul it's about when something good happens do you say lord thank you or you meet somebody and maybe on a sub level you could be shaking their hand and you're at work and you say lord i pray that i could be a positive impact on this person. I pray if they, they don't know you, that they would come to know you. On a sub-level, it's possible to have a Godward gaze, but more than that, even be praying in your soul. And by the way, praying in your heart is just fine. You don't always have to voice it. There's power in prayer voice, but there's also power in prayer spoken from the heart. And by the way, the posture of prayer is interesting. You don't have to pray with your head down and your eyes closed. In John 17, when Jesus prays his great high priestly prayer, he actually looks up to heaven with his eyes open. You ever become a prayer Nazi in a prayer meeting? And uh, people are praying and you start looking around to see if everybody's got their head bowed. (laughs) Hey, hey, their eyes are open. They must not be praying. And here's the big question. Why are your eyes open, and why are you scanning the room, being legalistic? Aren't you condemning yourself? And all God's people said, ouch. (laughs) Yes. See, now, we were in a men's Bible study studying John 17 at a donut shop. And we ended in prayer, and I said, everybody, don't bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody look up. And we looked up at the top of the donut shop wasn't that spiritual, apparently. But anyway, but when Jesus said this prayer, uh, I believe he was still in the upper room. It's possible that he was outside, but the lifting up of your eyes is okay, too. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So the posture is not as important, because some of you were thinking that immediately. How would I do that? Prayer is not the moving of lips, says Leon Morris. It's the elevation of the heart to God. Heed the sound of my cry for help, Psalm 5, verse 2, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. To pray without ceasing could include intercessory prayer. It's a general word for prayer here. And I could spend my day praying for others as well. So if you want to find your joy, one way to find joy is to get your eyes off yourself and start praying for others. Remember how I told you these three positives are interconnected? So let's say that you're, you wake up on Monday morning and you start your routine and you start to say, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for so-and-so and so-and-so. Would you bless so-and-so and cover them? And I heard that there's a sick relative over here, so would you have mercy on them? And start to go down and pray for people. You, you can do that while you're doing other things because the Lord knows your heart, Amen. So to pray without ceasing is a Godward gaze. It's Prayer in one sense is being conscious of His presence wherever we are. It is the realization of my dependence on Him as I fellowship with Him and yield to Him, filled up with His Spirit, ready and able to do His will. I've heard some amazing stories uh, about people who took God up on His promises and spent their life just saying, Holy Spirit, lead me and had amazing encounters that probably never would have happened unless they had prayed that and been looking for opportunities, something like this. Lord, you've given me today, so would you lead my feet to someone who needs encouragement? Would you lead my feet to someone who needs to hear the gospel? That starts to get your eyes off of yourself. It can give you a deep-seated joy, and you look for opportunities to redeem your time. Amen? That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It means to be open to His will for your life. Prayer reminds me who I am in Christ, that I serve Him. Prayer relieves me of those things I'm tempted to worry about, carry and lose my joy. I cast those things to my Father. I cast all my anxiety to Him because He cares for me. He revives me as I pray, as I fellowship with Him. He touches me and fills me. Effective ministry and service will always flow from abiding prayer, fellowship, and worship. Acts 6-4, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Abraham Lincoln. I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and of those about me seemed insufficient for the day to fulfill the task. We can come up with all kinds of strategies and we can make our lists, plan A, B, C, D, E. But George MacDonald says, "In whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. See, if we start to do this on our own and it becomes all about our agenda and our kingdom, even if we succeed, we will fail. So this is what it means to be in fellowship with God. It's relational. We are to rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, Romans 12, 12, and be devoted to prayer. There's much more that could be said, but I will tell you that I think a Godward gaze will get rid of a lot of your worries. The story of Mary and Martha is apropos here, right? Mary is sitting at the Savior's feet, drinking in his words, Martha running around, preparing a meal for the Lord. Come on! This is not a time to be spiritual. We're making a rigatoni! All right. No, it's a Jewish household. A falafel! <laughs> right? Tell that sister of mine, she thinks she's so spiritual, <laughs> to help me, Lord! Loose paraphrase. Whoa, Mary. <laughs> Hold on, girl. You're worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is really necessary. And your sister, oh, this is hard, sister, has chosen the better part. And it won't be taken away from her. Now, it doesn't mean that you spend 24-7 sitting somewhere before an altar or something like that. But it's the heart of Mary that we need to grasp. See, there's a way to order your life where you live it before the presence of God as you devote yourself to prayer and devotion. Quaker Thomas Kelly says, there's a way of ordering mental life in more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, We may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and gentle receptiveness to divine breathings, close quote. You see, folks, if you think that worship is about the time that you spend in this building, you don't know what worship is. This is part of your worship. The singing portion of our service is music ministry, and it is an expression of worship, but this should then catapult you into your life of worship where you are not conformed to the world, transformed by the ruining of your mind, and you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. Amen? Huh? Anybody? Oh, okay. Like, no. <laughs> no, I feel, I feel convicted. I'm not going to say the answer. Number three. Verse 18, positive imperatives. In everything, what's your Bible say? Give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people are always asking about the will of God. What's the will of God in my life? Well, the will of God in verse 3 of chapter 4 is that you abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God. You be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality. And then to chapter 5, Another verse about the will of God. And scholars would say that all three imperatives, positive imperatives, are included in that summation so that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks or give thanks in all circumstances as the NIV has it for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will is that we are a thankful people. Now, I will tell you that, once again, if we find some solace in habit of life ideas here, we are not always going to be thankful because there's hard things that happen and it would be hard to say, thank you, Lord, for that. If I hit my thumb with a hammer and it's pulsing and blood's spurting out, the first thing that comes to my mind is not, thank you, Lord, (laughs) thank you. That's wonderful. I know you're going to boom, 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 work this together for good. How? I don't know. right? I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. There are times when hard moments hit us and it's just, it is what it is. But Eventually, we can get to Romans 8.28 and realize that God does work all things together for good. I don't don't understand how he does that. And not everything is good, but he works it, Romans 8.28, together for good. So, Joseph's story is apropos. Brothers sell him into slavery. He's abandoned by his family. He finds himself in a foreign land falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. You guys know the story. But eventually God works it together to fulfill a master plan that he's working in Israel to bring forth the Messiah, to protect the Jewish people, etc. But when Joseph was sitting in a prison each and every night, I'm not sure if he always could say to himself, I know this, I know God's working it together for good. He could look back and see what happened so I think, once again, habit of life is to say, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. But there's going to be times when it's hard. The word for uh, give thanks, single Greek word, eucharisteo. It's actually where the idea of the Eucharist comes from. Eucharisteo, it means to be grateful, to express gratitude, to say grace. At a meal, to feel thankful, to give thanks, to be grateful. That's what we do. We are a thankful people. Now, sometimes people will go to the book of Job and they'll say, See, even Job, all his kids died and he lost everything and the enemy hit him with boils and destroyed his life. And Job said, Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going to leave it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord and he did not blame God. But you all need to read the rest of Job. Because after that, Job didn't do so hot. He questioned the day of his birth. He questioned his existence. He questioned God. He questioned his friends. He questioned everything. Why was I poor? The date of my birth should have just been expelled from the calendar. In fact, the night I was conceived should be gone. (laughs) Where, where, where? Hey, I'm telling you you guys, read the rest of the book of Job. And even though we honor Job for what he did in that moment, (laughs) he spent the next many, many chapters, and I just taught completely through the book of Job on Wednesday night, complaining, questioning, where were you? And then, at what seems his lowest low, Job will say something like this, but I know my Redeemer lives. (laughs) And at the end, he will take his stand on the earth, and even when my flesh is destroyed, in my flesh I will see God, and not another. But it doesn't mean that he didn't go through the normal stuff that we all go through. And if you feel terrible, that you don't feel as spiritual at times, when you go through that stuff, And you start going down your list, (laughs) join the club. Even Jonah, remember Jonah? The Lord says, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach to it. Nope. Jonah had a sign, oh no, I won't go. Oh no, I won't go. And he he bought a ticket and he went the other direction. And God said, okay, that's the way you want to play it. Time for a storm, right? Right? And Jonah prayed after three days and three nights in the belly of the great sea monster. (laughs) He got spiritual. Sometimes that's what it takes for us to wake up. God put him in the storm, and he prayed. He said, this is Jonah 2.9, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving, That which I have vowed I will pay salvation is from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish and he vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. The regurgitated prophet found some new joy. Surfers were on the shore. Dude, where you been? Seaweed hat going on. I've been in the ocean, man. (laughs) Right? He found gratitude in the belly of a sea monster. And if he can find it there, perhaps I can find it where I find myself right now. Wherever that may be. Not saying it's easy. But we have a wonderful assurance that our God ultimately will work out his plan. Puritan Thomas Watson observed, A sickbed often teaches more than a sermon. And the enemy comes at us and he says, How could God possibly use this for good? And I know that even in our own fellowship, we've had you know, some recent occurrences where we struggle with that. For me, I, I look back at a, a dad that left our family when I was four. I would have not known him had he cr- passed me on the street. And I will tell you that in my teenage years, I was an angry young man. And I... That anger expressed itself in different ways, but it was ultimately about being abandoned. And I, had a, I was a baseball player, and I had a dream that I would play for the Chicago Cubs, and my dad would see me on television, and I would prove him wrong. And I, it drove me to some very destructive behavior. And then I met the father of the fatherless. His name is Jesus, amen? My wife and my mother-in-law seated on the front row, and Anne, sweet Ann here, lost a son to leukemia when he was six years old. And my wife watched him die. And we don't, we don't understand that. We don't get it. My mom, uh, who will be at the second service, lost uh, twins. They were, they were born premature in the 60s. And uh, technology wasn't as good at that time. And they both, they both died. And it was a horrible blow to my mom. And my mom was having marriage problems as well. But one of those twins that died was named Michael William Lance, which is my name. And I've told you guys the story before, but I had asked my mom, Mom, if that twin wouldn't have died, would you have had me? And my mom paused. (laughs) And I went, whoa. (laughs) Hello. And some of you have heard me share this before, but I think this is the Holy Spirit just having me share this. And my mom said, Michael. You, yeah, maybe you wouldn't have been bored, but this is my mom, but God had a plan. Do I understand that? Do I understand why that child died and I lived? I don't. But I find refuge in a God who's sovereign, even though I don't understand all of his ways. What I do know is that he loves me. And that gives me a thankful heart. I know that somewhere in his sovereignty, he had a plan for my life. And I know he's good. And even though I can look around right now like you, and it's hard for me to rejoice always and pray without ceasing and be thankful in every situation, yet I'm trying to find my bearings. (laughs) Amen? Just like you. Lord, teach me how to be a man of worship. Teach me how to be more like you. This is what Jesus modeled. He modeled prayer. He he modeled a life of gladness. And he modeled gratitude. We're going to end right there, but I just want to read a final verse to you. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built upon him and established in your faith just as you were instructed in overflowing or superabounding with gratitude, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Father, thank you for your living word and for these three positive imperatives about pure worship. We're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. This or these are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And I would imagine if there are others like me in this crowd, (laughs) measuring ourselves against these positive imperatives leaves us feeling greatly wanting. Like, oh boy, (laughs) I have some progress to make. But thank you for your word. Because your word gives us light and challenges us to get better. And nothing you say in your word is impossible for us to do. With God, all things are possible. So would you help your people, Lord? Would you help me to rejoice always? To find my joy in Jesus? Would you anoint us with the oil of gladness? He has made me glad. Would you teach us how to pray? Which is something the disciples asked of you. Teach us how to have a life of prayer, not just to pray prayers, not just to sit before a meal and go through a rote prayer, but to be people of prayer, to be aware of your presence, to have a Godward gaze, to have my eyes continually on the author and perfecter of my faith. And then help us to be thankful. We can survey our lives right now, Lord, and even though there's some bumps and bruises there and some hard things, There's a lot to be grateful for. We're grateful to our God, grateful for our salvation, grateful that you have allowed us to wake up today, to experience life, your presence, your beauty. We can look around at things that we can begin to list and find beauty in your creation, beauty in our salvation, gratitude in so many things that you've blessed us with, Lord. Help us to be a grateful people. To give you thanks and to model that to the generation that's behind us because it's a generation that is hurting and often hopeless. And these three imperatives are so hopeful, they're so full of light, they get our gaze with it where it belongs if you'd stay in that attitude of prayer, if you've not met the God who is the God of joy and peace, he's also righteous and holy. you've not made a decision to follow him, this would be a good time to just say, Lord God, would you save me? I want to know you. I want to come to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on that cross for me and Defeated death by coming out of that tomb just like you said you would. Thank you that there's hope beyond the grave. I trust in you with my salvation. My salvation must come from you. Save me, Lord. Not only do I ask for salvation, but I want to follow you as my king and my God and my Lord. I want to learn how to worship you, to walk with you. If you're a prodigal and you've lost your joy, Maybe your decision-making has brought you to a point of low, lowness and emptiness. Maybe you've strayed. If you come back home, the Father will rejoice. He'll throw the party, if you will, and He'll welcome you home. And dear Saint, I just want to pray over you right now, Father, for this precious congregation. This week you've given us maybe what we could call a classic three-point sermon on (laughs) what to do. And these are such challenging things because they don't come natural to us. But they are the product of walking with God. Getting serious about a life of worship. Help us, Lord. This week, let this be our aim. To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful. And I think we'll be doing well. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to do a final.